You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Good One, a podcast about jokes. I'm your host, Jesse David Fox. Each episode, a guest comes on to play a clip of one of their jokes and then discusses how they wrote it and how it fits into what they're trying to do with their comedy. This week's guest is the formerly British uh, comedian, London Hughes. I mean, she's still a comedian, and I guess she's still British, but she doesn't live there right now. Uh, Though arguably, stylistically, she's always been an American comedian. Anyway, she lives here. She moved to L.A. in February 2020, and everything has been totally chill ever since. Fortunately, uh, London was able to film her special To Catch a Dick, which she originally performed to much acclaim at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2019. By the title, uh, you might get a sense that the show is about sex, and it is. There is a lot of stories about sex in it, but it's also about double standards and hypocrisy and the difficulty as a woman to reconcile exceptional ambition with a love life. And London sure has exceptional ambition. She she really, really wants to be famous and on her own terms. I've interviewed a lot of people, and I, I don't know if any has had such a clear focus about what she wants out of a career as she does. To give you a sense, when she was a little kid, her, her mom would sometimes catch her trying to literally climb inside the television. That's how much she just wanted to be on TV. She had such a desire to be on TV figuratively that she was like, oh, the way in is to be on TV literally. So the joke we're going to play is about one of the aforementioned double standards um, where male comedians can date models where London, for some reason, cannot. So here is. London Hughes. Okay, so here's the thing. After my stint with a slave master, I realised I was looking for dick in all the wrong places. I shouldn't be catching slavery dick. No one should be catching slavery dick, okay? So I decided to not go out and find the dick. I should just stand still and let the dick come to me, okay? You know it. So I started doing stand-up comedy. We chat shit for 20 minutes, you could definitely fuck me, innit? You know it. You know it. So I was like, I'm gonna do 
stand-up comedy. So I started doing stand-up and I was performing in Britain and I was fucking funny. I killed it, right? And I was going out on stage and I was performing to mainly white audiences. I was having a great time. And afterwards, like, white people would come up to me and they'd be like, oh my God, London, you are so funny. You should go to Edinburgh. I was like, cool. They're like, oh my God, you, you are so funny, okay? You should go to Edinburgh. I was like, cool. It's like, you're funny. Go to Edinburgh. And here's the thing. I thought it was a hate crime. I didn't know there was anything there. I was like, you go to Edinburgh. <laughs> I'm from Croydon. What do you mean? You go, you go to fucking Edinburgh and tell me to... Fuck off. Don't tell me to go to Edinburgh. Fucking racist. Turns out there's a comedy festival in Edinburgh. Yeah. 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 The Edinburgh Comedy Festival. So I went there, right? And that's where I saw male comics get treated like Gods. Male comics get treated like gods by women, by us, because we have no sense, ladies. We have no, no, we don't. We have no sense, okay? Because I saw these male comics on stage and I realized that women will fuck you if you're funny. You don't have to be good looking, you don't even have to have money, but women will fuck you if you're funny, okay? And I noticed this with all these comics. All these comics were on stage telling jokes and the women in the audience were going crazy, screaming, laughing, frothing at the nanny, going crazy. <laughs> going crazy for these men, ready to risk it all over some basic observational skills about their average family dynamic, right? <laughs> and these comics are on stage chatting shit. And women in the audience are lapping it up, lapping it up, lapping it up. And it does not work the other way around. Female comics, we do not get to fuck models. My dating history looks like a who's who of Uber drivers, right? Okay? I don't get to fuck models. But you see, look, Google your favorite male comics. These um, Daves and Eds, they're not fucking Angies and Patties. They're fucking Mimis and Svalanas and Kombuchas. Overworldly, weak-grassy, huge bitches. It's not fair. It's not fair, because I can't compete, okay? And it's not just like that in Britain. That shit is universal. The shit is universal. I've seen it here in America. I was watching Saturday Night Live. It's a very niche program. It comes on, I don't know if you're aware of it. Saturday, it's on Saturday nights, and they say live. From, it's niche. It's above you. I mean, it's just it's too highbrow. Saturday Night Live. I was watching this show called Saturday Night Live, and there was comics on there telling jokes. And there's this white guy on there, and God bless him. I would fuck him, right? Because he looks like a charming thumb, okay? His name's Colin Jost, okay? <laughs> Anyone here know Colin Jost is just like, just gorgeous, what, chin, jaw, ch sexy thumb energy, right? And I saw that, and I said, I could fuck him. I could fuck him. So I looked at his details, see what he was saying, Googled him, went on his Instagram. He is married to Scarlett Johansson. This average-looking, thumb-looking white man is married to Scarlett Johansson, the most beautiful Asian actress in all of America. It's not fair! It's not fair! I couldn't believe it! I'm sorry, I couldn't believe it! Look at Pete, Pete fucking Pete Davidson! Pete fucking Davidson! Pete Davidson fucked Ariana Grande and Kate Beckinsale. Meanwhile, me in my current form, I'm not hot enough to suck Larry David's dick. I'm not. He'd <laughs> be like, no. I'd be like, oh, no, no. No, other, uh, Larry, no, no. It's not fair. I so I am here with London Hughes. Thank you for joining me. <laughs> Thank you for having me, sir. How are you? I'm all right. That was that I had to do my official greeting after the sort of action <laughs> I had to do with a, my radio voice on. <laughs> your radio voice is deeper than your natural voice. You know it is. Like yeah. It's it all is. like, hey, I'm on yeah. the radio. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 
I want to talk about the joke, but I, I want to start the the story of your, your special on this joke in 2017 at your first Edinburgh mm-hmm. solo show, which I believe yeah. is called Superstar. It's just nobody's realized it yet. I love this. <laughs> yes, it was called that. Oh, my God. How sad. Oh. <laughs> so oh, um, what were you expecting going into it? How did it go? And, and what did you learn from that experience? So I did. A sh- yeah, the show Superstar, it's just nobody's realized it was definitely... I had big dreams. It was definitely the show that I thought was going to be the show that made me a star, hence the name. I spent about £10,000 English pounds on that show. And people, for people that don't know much about the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, it's the biggest arts festival in the world. It's every month of August in Scotland in a town called Edinburgh. And they literally shut down the whole of the town. It's like footloose, but for comedy. So like everywhere... And the opposite, like you have to be able to do yeah. comedy to be there. And it's like everywhere. There's comedy, you can see comedy in a church, on a bus. They shut down cafes, restaurants, comedy on the street, comedy on a hill, comedy naked, comedy clothed, comedy sad, comedy happy. Everything to do with comedy is there. Yeah. And anyone for, who can join, but it's expensive. So just to be there for the month, you've got living costs, which is about two grand. Then you've got like uh, venue costs, which can cost anything from, you know, a couple hundred to like five grand and six grand. And then you've got like, pub- if you want a publicist, if you want um, uh, to, to do more shows, other places, put on more than one show, it can cost you a lot of money. So, yeah. and then that's without considering like staff, like a director, a light, the lighting guy, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, my show superstar, just nobody's realized it, cost me 10 grand and a total of 50 people saw it. <laughs> like it was, <laughs> I spent so much money on it. And I, I did it in this big theater with a hundred seater tickets were like 15 pounds and no one came (laughs) it was so sad i put so much work into it and it basically told the story of my career so far through the media of television Mm -hmm. and um it was fun it was a really interactive show and there's loads of twists and turns and it's crazy because it ended with a voiceover guy saying, will London Hughes be a success in Hollywood? And at that time, I'd never even been to LA. And I'm going, I'm in a spotlight going, I think so. Will London Hughes get an agent? Yeah. Will London Hughes be the next Whoopi Goldberg? I sure will. And then that's like, it had a big cliffhanger, like what will happen to London Hughes next? Yeah. It's a funny ending to do when there's only two people in the audience. And you're like, I think I'm- Hey, hey, I have big dreams. I have big dreams, okay? Yeah, what did you learn from the experience? I didn't realize how much of a loser I was until I did To Catch a Dick in Edinburgh and it took off. And I was like, oh, this is what success looks like. But back then in 2017, I was like, hey, we got 10 people in today. We're living the dream. So so when so then in in 2019, when you were deciding to go back to Edinburgh to do Mm -hmm. To Catch a Dick, uh, what were your goals? So basically in 2019, it was a different me. In 2017, I was like, I put it all into uh, superstars, just nobody's realized it. And I was tired because once you've given everything, you just go, fuck it. Don't know if I can swear, but like, (laughs) I was just like, whatever. So that was me going into Edinburgh in 2019. So I was like, okay, I'm stripping everything back. It's just gonna be me and a microphone. I'm not even gonna have any tech or anything. 
I'm just going to write jokes and I'm not going to try and please anyone. I'm just going to do a show that I want to do. And I'm not going to prepare for months and months. I wrote To Catch a Dick um, in a couple of days. I just sat <laughs> on the floor of my flat, wrote To Catch a Dick. I did a couple previews. I did two previews before I took it to Edinburgh and took it to Edinburgh. Yeah. <laughs> like it was just such a smooth thing. And because I'd already had huge disappointment, I cared, but I was over it. I was just like, yeah. you know what? And that's the best way to be when you're just like, fuck it. Whether this show does well or not, I'm still a success. So I'm just gonna just do, give it all I've got and do a show I wanna do and not try too hard, just, just do it. And that's when it takes off, obviously. Yeah. It's always the way. <laughs> how did you, so how did you actually decide what would go in it? How did you sort of build the, you know, like the oh, proper cool. shows? Yeah, so like, how did yeah. you decide? I imagine, you know, it's your entire dating history. How do you decide what are, yeah. what's the hours worth? So basically, it was so interesting because I have caught so much dick that the original show was two and a half hours long. I shit you not. The first preview, God bless the audience in the, for the first preview of To Catch a Dick because we have these little time slots and it was only an hour and it started at eight. And I remember it got to nine o'clock and I looked at the audience and I was like, guys, I've got so much more material left. Um, you can go if you want. And nobody went. They stayed and... Uh, I did two and a half hours worth of To Catch a Dick. And there were so many stories in there. And those stories were, were actually the best of the best. That's how mm. much dick I've caught. My poor vagina now, man, because lockdown, really, <laughs> she's in rehab. She's led such a life. And mm. now she's just being neglected. But anyway, all I know is I had so much material and then I recorded it on my phone. And I, the next day I played it all back and I only kept in the killer, got rid of all the filler. And then I had to change the structure because uh, one of the stories that got like a round of applause and I was like, oh shit, that should be at the end because it got yeah, to yeah. get the biggest reaction and all that kind of stuff. And then by the time I got to Edinburgh, I set myself a challenge of uh, coming up with a new joke every day. So you perform the show every day for a month and I said, you're going to write a new joke and perform it every day. So if you saw To Catch a Dick in Edinburgh like day one, it's a not completely different show. Structurally, it was still there, mm. but in terms of the gags, they were way more gags by, uh, the, oh, by show 28 because, yeah, some of the biggest laughs that you watch in the special were freestyles that I did one day in Edinburgh. Um, that like, uh, the I'm a farmer joke, that was just like a tag on and I performed it without it for about two weeks and then one day I just went, I'm a farmer and everyone just died. And I was like, cool, that stays in. Like, it was great. Yeah. It was a really fun way of doing comedy. Talking about this stuff on stage i mean it, it's you know you're you're so charming and open on stage and you seem like you're having so much fun that by the time we're seeing it we're like oh this person loves to be talking about it but you know so much comedy comes from challenging places or places of vulnerability like is there part of you that though you're fine talking about it is hesitant to talk about these things does it feel vulnerable to be open like um, how did you get over you know like no do you know what me in real life and me on stage we're pretty much the same i'm very open but yeah. once i hit that stage everything's off limits like I have no there's nothing holding me back I have no filter I have no gag reflex I have nothing <laughs> there's nothing that stops me so um yeah it was great because with To Catch a Dick the reason why I knew the show would do well was actually I kind of did like a test without knowing it um I, the yeah in 2017 
um, the year I did Superstars, just nobody's yeah. realised it. My cousin got married and she had a um, Hindu. You guys call it a bachelorette party. You call it a Hindu. She had a Hindu and I was bridesmaid of honour. And we had it in Spain. And the plan was just to party every night in Spain. But by the time we got to Spain, it started raining and there was nothing for us to do. So there was about 20 girls and I'm mm. in charge of the fun. And night one, we just sat indoors drinking and my cousin was asking about my sex life and my love life and I was just telling stories. And these girls were dying. And after a while they'd be like, so then what happened? So did you suck dick for shoes? Did you get to keep the shoes? What happened? And I'm just like regaling these girls, these 20 something year old girls of like my sex life and my love life. And then the next day they didn't want to go out. They just wanted to stay in and like just laugh and joke with me all night long. And so in the end, that's what happened. And I remember thinking to myself, wow, this could be, this could be something, you know, these yeah, dick yeah. stories. And I don't know who started the rule that women can't talk about sex on stage. It's been something that has plagued me my whole life. Well, my whole comedy life. So I've been doing comedy for 11 years and I've been talking about dick since 2010. But back then it was vulgar. It was like, yeah. oh, it's crass. But now, you know, we got songs, we got songs like Cardi B, <laughs> Wet Ass Pussy being <laughs> number one song in the world. I should be allowed to say I'm sitting on faces, sitting on faces. So, uh, yeah, all good. Is that a, in, in England is being vulgar that is, is super rare? Like, because I'd be listening to interviews with people and people were like, sh- couldn't believe how vulgar you are on stage. And I was like, I know, like, you obviously are so open, but it is. I was amazed that they're so amazed a comedian would go on stage and like curse or whatever. It's not a comedian. It's female comics. Yeah. Uh, Britain's still very, very behind when it comes to uh, stand-up comedy and representation and women just owning whatever the fuck they want. Like you guys have Amy Schumer's. You have that, that, yeah. that female comic that's probably one of the biggest female comics in the world. And she's on stage talking about sex. We don't have that in Britain. Uh, yeah. we, do, we don't have young female comics that are the biggest female comics in the world. We've got, we've literally just got mainly men, just, yeah. you know, old white, old unattractive white men talking about their wives and talking about their kids, blah, blah, blah. I'm so rich. We've got a lot of that. And we've got so many talented female comics out there that want to talk about the situation. But yeah, it's not really seen as, uh, I don't know, the thing. Yeah. But it's shifting and it's changed because I remember when I first talked about sucking dick and it was called vulgar. But then when I started doing To Catch a Dick and doing bits and bobs, like I'd try out a five minute from To Catch a Dick at a set and like women were calling me powerful. And like, it's like a feminist movement now. Whereas I'm like, I'm just giving blowjobs. But back when I was giving blowjobs in 2010, it wasn't seen as powerful. Now it's feminist and powerful. So uh, I want to thank white women. <laughs> I want to thank the feminist movement for helping uh, women just live their truth and own their sexuality. So now when I say I'm sucking dick for shoes, it's powerful. So, yeah. which it is, it should be. It shouldn't be seen as a taboo. And I'm trying to break the stigma that it is. Uh, yeah. I- yeah. I, I, on um, I was thinking about a thing you said. I was I listened to your podcast, London, actually, and you said something oh, in the nice. first episode that was really interesting. To me, what you said, you're you're about to tell a story about your dating life, and you said, "I'm going to give you a crash course into my love life, into me, basically," which is sort of implying that your love life is a good way of a good representation of who you are. What it is mm-hmm. about you as a your dating life and and date how you do that sort of is the best portrait of who you are is the way that sort of captures why is it your muse i feel like it's because it's 
it's so like being single and being your, I'm, I call myself hashtag my own sugar daddy. And um, <laughs> because I'm like really expensive and I like to look after myself. So when it comes to dating, I need a guy that's basically the male version of me because I am all these things. I don't need a man, I want one. So when I'm talking about guys and stuff, it's the true representation of me because the standards that I have in my real life, I expect my man to adhere to those standards too and beyond. So yeah. yeah, it's good. Like me be being single is very much a part of me. It's so weird. And I've made so much money off of being single. It's crazy. <laughs> like if I had a man now, I'd be broke. Like it's just, <laughs> being single is like, yeah, just so much part of me. Dating me is basically just a crash course on me. There's a, a thing you say in the special, it sort of frames it, which I think is really interesting, which is the idea of being too much. Being too much yeah. is sort of like, and I want to warn you, this is going to be a fairly nerdy question. So I was oh, thinking I... about how you, I was thinking about how you would say too much, and I was thinking about like it as a superpower, or you as a superhero. And mm -hmm. I was thinking about this X Men. Uh, her name is Rogue, and her powers that she can take other people's powers if she touches Ooh. them. So Ooh. it's this, this is sort a nerdy of question. I love yeah, yeah, it. I know. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it is her. It's the power that sort of makes her like so strong and so powerful, but it also makes it hard. Uh, for her to have relationships with people. Yeah. So does this power your sort of, your vivaciousness or whatever, does it feel yeah. like a gift and a curse? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> I've never had a nerdy breakdown of my love life slash personality like that. Is this therapy? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm rogue. I'm, I'm rogue, mate. Yes. Basically, the whole thing about being too much is, is why the special is so important to me because that's the underlying message. But literally, I genuinely feel like girls like me, women like me, that are just like independent, loud, confident, vivacious, and just open and just, you know, we have no filter. We're not seen as the girl that you marry. I'm, mm -hmm. We're not seen as that. We're seen as, you know, the crazy best friend. If this, is a, if this was a movie, I would be the crazy best friend that can't keep a man. And then the main chick would be some basic bitch with gag reflex that brings nothing to the table, but she looks gorgeous. Maybe she could fucking sing, I don't know. It would just sure. be very like, and there's nothing wrong with those mediocre bitches. Cause if you're a mediocre bitch, I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you. It's not your fault. But I just feel like when you're basic and mediocre and just like silent, <laughs> like the Kardashians, like just when you're just beautiful and silent, the world gives you everything. But if you're like a curvy, mouthy, black British chick that just talks about sex and dick, guys are like, wow, that's not the one you take home to mum. And I genuinely feel like I've been told I'm too much so many times by men. And I thought that there was a problem with me. I was like, mm. this is just how I am. This is how I've been born. I've always been this way. And you keep telling me to like, I'm, for people listening, I'm doing like hand gestures where they be quiet and down. Like, small sandwich hand gestures so i'm just like i'm just like less and yeah. i'm like why why but men don't get told be less men are never like oh look at that charming confident man who's who everybody loves why don't he dim his light no it's always women that is literally oh, why i am the way i am because i'm too the, much <laughs> the, 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 the other question i had about before we sort of go into sort of the writing of it was sort of it it seems like you're working on this or thinking about it as you're like approaching 30, it seems like, right? So it's like you're, you're yeah. turned 32 months before Edinburgh. Did that help yeah. frame what makes this a show instead of just sort of a collection of stories? Um, no, do you know what? It was just literally 
the moment I was going through yeah. at that time. It wasn't even like, oh, let me just base it around this. It was like, no, my mom wants kids. I'm a mom's only child. And she's looking at me like, not only child, I've yeah. got two brothers, let me not lie. I'm her only daughter, so basically her only child. And she's mm -hmm. looking at me like, where's the kids? And like I say, I haven't even had an abortion yet. Let me have a couple abortions before I think about keeping it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> so for her, she's like, you're 30. And by the time she was my age, she was already married with two kids. So she's just looking at me like, where is the child? And apparently I told my mom when I was seven, that I didn't want any kids until I had a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. <laughs> and she thought I was joking back then, but now she's starting to think I may be serious. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was just kismet that I, how I was feeling resonated with the age that you do feel this way. And I thought, yeah, I can, I can turn this into a show. I hopefully, yeah. hopefully she doesn't realize you can just pay for those stars. Like you have to earn it, but you, you can't. <laughs> no, don't do that. Cause I just realized that, which means my mom, I just found that out. Why is, how, where I genuinely found that out last year. And I was so upset. I was like to my, who was I saying it to? My agents or someone like, oh, one day I'll have a star. And they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll just do a movie and the studio will pay for it. And I was like, what? <laughs> Is that what happens? Like, yeah, to promote the movie, they give you a star and yeah. So, um, so let's talk about the, the joke about uh, the type of women male comedians can date. Um, yes. So I've heard you talk about it many times throughout the years. And you, in the joke, you say, when you first went to Edinburgh the first time, you noticed the phenomenon. Uh, do you remember the first time you noticed this trend? What, what went through yeah. your head? Yeah, I was like, what the fuck? Like, clearly, I need to start doing comedy. I remember going to Edinburgh and, like, just not really to perform, just to see what the, all the fuss was about. Mm. And I'd been doing comedy for, like, like a couple months, maybe six months, not even a year yet. And I, I, it, it wasn't like something I was taking seriously because I didn't think, because as a, I'm a black woman, I didn't think I could have a career in comedy in Britain because all the male, all the comics I saw were white men. So I was mm -hmm. like, I'm a black girl. I'm not gonna be a comedian, but I'll do it as a hobby. I'll do it for fun, I enjoy it. And I was just walking around Edinburgh and seeing the ugliest male comics with the hottest groupies, the hottest. And I just was like, oh my God, I need to get in on this thinking it would work the other way around. It did not, it did mm -hmm. not. I have not. I mean, I have caught a lot of great exceptional dick, but I caught that despite the fact that I was a comedian. <laughs> like, like that was, I think me being a comedian hindered that dick yeah. opportunity. So um, yeah, in spite of that, I had still managed to catch great dick. Why, why do you think that is? At, if you've been doing comedy, you were, you've been doing comedy for so long since that moment and you've seen so yeah. many examples of, do you have a sense yeah. of, do you have a theory of why this phenomenon? The same thing about being too much. I don't think male human beings genuinely look at someone on a female comic on stage in all of her elements, making a crowd laugh and think, I want to fuck that or I want to go out with that or I want to marry that. I don't think they see that. Whereas I'll just see like a flight attendant and be like, mm -hmm. that's, that's the wife. <laughs> like, it's, it's just a job that men don't, a lot of, and I'm not talking about all men, because I know there's guys out there that are like, my DMs are full of dudes. So I know there's guys out there that want a bit of it, but majority, yeah. If you're funny and, and cool and a man and you're not that attractive, you can still get hot girls. If you're funny and cool and a female and not that attractive, you can, you know, yeah. You might be able to catch some dick, 
but you're not keeping that dick. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's just harder for us. Like my life is so hard. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, how did that that observation of yours then work into this show? Where you're like, oh, I have this. It's you know because it's tangential to Ooh. the bigger idea. Because it was, I was halfway through writing it, and I was like, let me talk about Edinburgh because I go to this this festival. And no one really takes the piss out of it because we're all like, oh, it's such a, uh, a critically acclaimed festival where our dreams come true. And I was like, fuck that, I'm gonna take the piss. So I just literally just came up with like uh, uh, how my analogy of how I feel Brit uh, male comics are treated in Britain versus female comics. And then I was like, what about via dating? And then it just came to me. And yeah. like the joke where I say, um, my dating history looks like a who's who of Uber drivers. It's true, because I fucked an Uber driver when I first came to LA. Like, this is the thing. I am so hot. I shouldn't have to fuck Uber drivers. But because of my personality and my job, I, I, I am fucking Uber drivers. It's a sad day in LA. It really is. The, uh, the way you describe a, a line I really like from that part, you go, um, these women are ready to risk it all for... Oh, oh, for Risk it all over basic observation skills about the average family dynamic. Yeah, that because that's a lot, bless them. A lot of male comics, bless them. That's what they talk about. Basic of oh my especially in Britain, they're like, oh my god, my father is so he's so crazy. Oh, my mother, no, my sister's so blah blah blah. Like it's just basic observational shit. And yeah. it's fine, it works, and it really works for them. And some of them are millionaires off of it, and I'm really happy for them. But the fact that girls go crazy over it, I just find it, I'm just like, really? You're gonna risk it all for him? For him? But hey, I'm jealous. I'm just jealous. For, for a, a line like that, or the other funny line in it, which is otherworldly other wheatgrass-infused bitches, wheat are you, do you write those things down? It's like, when you come up with your phrasing, is it like a thing yeah. that you're really pouring over? No, it's something that just clicks in my head. Like, I'll be like, I'll be like, wheatgrass-infused bitches, and then I'll just be like, I feel like it needs a little zzzz. It's more the rhythm of it. Like, it's, sometimes it's not necessarily the word. Sometimes I come up with, like, funny rhythms first, like it needs to be like da 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 da, da. Mm. and then I'll have to go on Google to tr to find out the word that fits that rhythm. Like it's just about the rhythm <laughs> and how you're performing it. But otherworldly wheatgrass infused bitches sounds better than wheatgrass infused bitches, you know, yeah. or bitches. So um, <laughs> I, I just yeah, I try it out. I love um, I'm into all of that, like uh, structuring jokes in terms of like how they hit, mm. not in terms of the actual joke quality, but how the the um, the word sounds is uh is something i'm really into so there'll be a lot of, there's a lot of that into catch it yeah yeah um, um yeah. so walk me through colin joe's all the colin joe's stuff how, <laughs> how, did, how did it start so this is what happened this is a true story so when i um my dream is to be on snl I've, i love snl we don't get it in the uk so i'm always watching clips of it on youtube and um by the time I got to LA and I was like coming here for pilot season and staying here for months on end, I made sure that I'd be watching SNL because I just didn't get to watch a full episode. So I barely watched the weekend updates because it wasn't a sketch that, yeah. you know, like it's not a moving sketch, it's just a segment. And I, and I don't know what happens in America because I'm in Britain. So I never watched it. So yeah. I remember one day I was watching SNL from beginning to end and I see this dude like <laughs> pop up on the screen and I was like, I would fuck him, oh my God. Like he's like the perfect, not really attractive, but kind of like 
Like it's, it's, he's so, he comes across as so smart and so funny that it makes him hotter. And I feel like the same about me. So I'm like, I'm not the hottest, do you know what I mean? I'm no sunset, but I come across as so funny and charming that makes you want to fuck me. So I saw Colin Jones and I was like, I want to fuck him. And then um, I was telling my friend about it. I was like, there's this guy that I saw on SNL. Like, he's, just, he's just like, I don't know what it is about him. So like, he's very attractive, but he's, I just want to fuck him. I want to get to know him. And she was just, she just started laughing. And I was like, what? And she was just like, he goes out with Scarlett Johansson. I said, no. I said, no, 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 no. Scarlett. No, 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 And it was so, it just literally just was like, yeah, I am not hot enough to date a normal comic because normal comics can date movie star models. Do you know yeah. how unfair that is? It's not like Amy Schumer dating Ben Affleck. You know what I mean? It's so not fair. So for me, that was just the biggest, like, the biggest proof of what I said was right, that he's with her. And so then I was just like, oh, there's no hope for me. Maybe I... I'll date Bernie. I was gonna say Bernie Mac, God rest his soul. I meant Cedric the Entertainer. I need to date Cedric the Entertainer. But even if I went to Cedric, he'd say no. That's why I talk about Larry David, because I'm like, I'm not hot enough to suck Larry David's dick. And that is a fact, fact. And it's so sad. <laughs> um, side note, I don't know if you know who Emma Stone married. Emma Stone and married the dude SNL. from Yeah, the dude from writer. SNL. Exactly. Emma Stone is with a lovely man sure. who works on SNL. And she's Emma Stone. So I so, just feel like it's harder for guys. It's harder for female comics. It really is. <laughs> um, so talk about the, how did the Larry David part then evolve into this Yeah. Trip? So basically, um, the so the Colin Joe's joke was was there, and I was like, "What's that like?" Because like Scarlett Johansson is an absolute, you know, dynamite knockout, beautiful woman, and she's marrying a lovely, good-looking, funny guy. But I was like, "What's my equivalent?" And like, I just thought, who could I probably not fuck if I tried? So then I went on literally went on Google and just saw like all the, like Jerry Seinfeld's wife, who's fucking stunning. Like every, all these old comedy dudes have hot wives. And I didn't know if Larry David was in a relationship or whatever, or had a wife. So I just thought he's fair game. Cause he's, you know, he, mm. he, I can't see his wife. So I wrote the joke and it's so funny because I wrote it in 2019 and I forgot about it. And I was like, I'm not hot enough to suck Larry David's dick. Then last year, um, I met a girl and she's really, really sweet. And she was lovely and we hear off instantly. We start following each other on Instagram and um, I tell her about To Catch a Dick and I'm like, yeah, you should come and watch a preview of To Catch a Dick and it's all good. And she was like, oh my God, I'd love to. Yes, great. And she works in the industry. It was fine. And then I was following her on Instagram one day and I just see a picture of her in a wedding dress, marrying. Larry David. <laughs> I just what am I thinking? <laughs> it was just the most surreal thing. I was like, what the fuck? And I just was like, I remember writing like, congratulations. And I'm thinking, what? Did I? Did, what? So then she was going to come and watch the preview of To Catch a Dick. And the, at this point, we've sold the Netflix special and the, the joke's in there. So I'm not changing the joke, but I, yeah. I, need to, I need to tell, this is Larry David's wife. So we're chatting on the phone. And I was like, um, con congratulations on the wedding. I have something to tell you. Uh, you're going to come and watch my show to catch the, I have a, I have a joke uh, about, about your husband. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. And I wrote it before I met you. 
can I tell you it? She was like, yeah, what is it? So I told her and she started laughing and she was like, she was like he'll be fine. And then she went to watch it and she's like, I'll bring Larry. And I was like, do not bring Larry David to my preview. Please do not, please do not. And she was like, okay, I won't bring him, but you have to meet him for dinner. So I had dinner at their place and I met Larry and he was like, so I hear you, you've got a joke about me? And I was like, yes, Mr. Larry David, I do. And he was like, what is it? And I was like, fuck. I'm doing this joke in front of him. Mm. So I did the joke and he laughed and went bright red and said, you have my permission to use it. <laughs> I'm Larry, that joke is Larry David approved. Um, so yeah, and him and his wife are lovely. But it, it, it proves my point. Larry David's wife is an absolute stunner. And it just proves my point. I am not hot enough to suck Larry David's dick. So. Um, were there... You later, later in the special, bring up Mr. Bean. Were there other examples that you brought up? Specifically, I feel like I heard you talk on a podcast about how Kevin Hart's, what Kevin Hart's wife looks like. Yeah, because there were so many versions of it. I had basically, because I've done the show in the UK, I did it in London. So there was British versions. I had other uh, mm. British comics that American audiences wouldn't know. So I had to change that, those references. But yeah, Kevin Hart, I was like, look at Kevin Hart's wife. Like I had so many jokes like that in there. Like, because the rule applies to everyone. There's no one that doesn't adhere to that rule when it comes to comic dating hot women. They're mm -hmm. all hot women. Female comics date average looking kind men. <laughs> and that is what happens. And I want to change that. That's, that's what To Catch a Dick is. It's me taking a stand for all the female comics that deserve top tier dick. That's what it's, it is. Yeah, because it's not that you think he shouldn't Mary Scarlett Johansson is that no. you should also date an adventure. Yes. It's not that there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with Colin and Scarlett. I just wish I could get a Michael B. Jordan, but I can't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I cannot get someone as hot as Scarlett, the, the male equivalent of Scarlett Johansson wouldn't want to date me. And that's the problem with society. Okay. And that's what needs to change. And I'm making a stand because Pete Davidson shouldn't have got that many hot girls. He shouldn't have. And we should reverse that and women should get that caliber of women and men yeah. too. All women, whatever they want. Um, so yeah, that's the plan. That's my manifesto. <laughs> we'll be right back with more London Hughes. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. 
Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with London Hughes. So you um, you do the show a few more times, and then February mm-hmm. 2020, you move to the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Why? Why did you Why did you decide to move here? So after Edinburgh, the show was such a hit. It um, did so well there at the festival. Um, I got nominated for. So at the end of the festival, a, a handful of shows get nominated for best show, and uh, I became the first Black woman in British history uh, to be nominated for best show, first Black British woman, and it was so buzzy in the UK that the buzz reached America. Mm. So by the time I, I decided to take it out to LA, there was a lot of people that wanted to hear it and wanted to see it. And um, I, I, I was having meetings in LA. I just got an agent out there. I just got management. I was coming back and forth anyway for meetings. So I planned on going to America in September, regardless of how well the show did or not, I always was going to go there. So mm. I, um, before Edinburgh, I had just uh, sold a script to NBC and um, I was working on a show, a pilot, my first uh, ever American pilot with Larry Wilmore, who co-created Insecure of Issa Rae and did the Bernie Mac show. And uh, he, I had a meeting with him and he was like, I love you, let's, let's do something together. So I was going to LA to work on the script with Larry anyway, mm. but then to catch a dick was so buzzy that then I had to do the show in LA. So I did it in LA for all of the industry and like in uh, Easter Ray came, Sam Smith came, Kevin Hart saw it. He saw mm-hmm. the video recording of it. And um, he flew me out to Las Vegas to meet him. So in February, yeah, I came to LA. I got flown out to Las Vegas, put up in a banging suite. Ooh, I was living my best life in Vegas. And I met Kevin, I spent the whole day with Kevin and we spoke about my career and he basically was like, I want to exec produce your special. Like he just looked me in the eye. He told me how talented I was, how much he believes in me. He was like, you're going to be a star. Let's go, let's get to work. And uh, it all was like amazing. I was like, I have literally, I, I, I've made it. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is the moment I'm going to be a star. And I come back from Vegas and I work on the special and we get the deal done and everything goes great. And then COVID I'm stuck in limbo in America, waiting to see if comedy is going to even be allowed on earth again so I can film this special. (laughs) And everything shuts down. I can't leave the country because uh, ex-president Trump put a ban on visas. So if I left, I wouldn't be able to come back because I had a work visa. And I was just stuck with no friends, uh, in America during the worst time of my life, COVID. And then there was a race war uh, after George Floyd. And then there was California wildfires. And uh, the whole time I was just here <laughs> waiting to see if my career would take off. It was a, <laughs> it was yeah. a touch and go eight months, uh, but it finally happened. Uh, we got to film the special and now I'm talking to you. It seems like from from research, it's sort of like American television and American culture was very you you grew up watching it even maybe as much as the British culture. Yeah. What did America represent 
before coronavirus when you're like i'm gonna move to america and x was gonna happen like what what did it do what did you hope for what were you expecting the plan was to always go to america like that was from the yeah like i said from the age of seven i wanted my star on the hollywood walk of fame yeah yeah um, I don't think America understands, I mean, I'm sure America knows its influence on the world, but when it comes to uh, uh, television and film and, and being a black girl from the UK, there was not many black people on TV. So as a kid, you're watching British television. You don't see anyone that looks like you. All of a sudden, my mom gets cable and we have access to a hundred channels. Most of them are American. I start seeing black people. So the first black woman I saw on TV was Aunt Viv. Mm-hmm. in the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And I remember thinking, oh, America is where I'll get on TV. Oh, and that's just what your brain does as a kid. Yeah. It goes, okay, if I, I look like Aunt Viv, I look like Will Smith. If I want a show like Will Smith, that's going to happen in America because no one in Britain has a show like Will Smith. So that's what my brain did. And so from a young age, the goal was always eventually get to America. And I used to, uh, I always say, like I used to think that, um, the credits flashed really quickly on the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because it had the actor's addresses on it. Mm -hmm. And I used to think that like, if I go close enough to the screen, I have my pen and paper ready, I will see Will Smith's address and I can write it down and then I can send him a letter, he'll read the letter and then he'll just put me in Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and make me a star. And I remember being like 12 and knowing that Britney Spears, no, I was 12 and a half and Britney Spears made it onto the Mickey Mouse Club at 12. And I remember sitting down with my mom and being like, I'm 12 and a half and you haven't done anything for my career. And Britney Spears made it at 12 and I ain't even been on Barney. So what are you doing for me to make me a star mum? And she would just laugh at me. And I was just like, no, but where's my agent? (laughs) I need an agent. I've passed it. I'm 12 and a half. So um, the dream was always to get there. I knew I would always get here. I just didn't know how. Yeah. And you didn't think it would be during a global pandemic. I didn't think it would be during a global pandemic. I'm the most, fam- I have two billboards, two billboards in LA right now, one on Sunset, one on Melrose. And like, all I want to do is just stand out there and stand outside the billboard and wait for people to walk past and notice me. But that's frowned upon in COVID times. Like, it's yeah. just like the worst, I'm going, it's the worst time to be famous. <laughs> because nobody, nobody recognizes me with my mask on. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, like comedy is a, is a context dependent art form. Did it make you think about the special differently? Did you, did you like, oh, how do I do this same thing when like this is, you know, currently not people are sleeping around, people aren't dating. How did you think about it? Yeah. You had, I imagine a lot of time just sitting there to think about this. Yeah. Thing. Well, here's the thing. I had all this time to think about the special. And you know what? I didn't want to do the special if I didn't believe in what I was saying anymore. And I believed in it even more because of the pandemic. I feel like single girls, the reason why the show has done so well is because single women are like, yes, even more now than mm. before because we're stuck inside. And like the, the stuff is so funny. My friend teases me about it because the opening of To Catch a Dick, the first three minutes where I talk about COVID, that's a freestyle. That's not... Yeah. Um, that, that's all new. That's nothing that I'd even tested. And my friend was like, you recorded your Netflix special and opened the special with jokes that are untested. And I was like, yeah, why not? Because it's the truth. Like, so all the COVID stuff, it just, I wasn't going to pull it in at first because I was like, why am I talking about COVID? Like, we don't want to hear about it. But stepping out on stage and seeing everyone looking back at me wearing masks, I was like, I have to, I have yeah. to bring it up. We're in such a different time now. And um, 
you know, I didn't want to go into like COVID dating, a whole thing. I wanted the show to stay true to what it was. But yeah, I think I'm even more desperate for dick now. Like then I, when I was writing to catch a dick, I had dick in abundance. Now there's hardly any dick. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of feel like we need it. And I need the show now more than ever. <laughs> your comedy, uh, you know, seemingly is so much about creating an atmosphere and an energy around you. Was it was it difficult with an outdoor yeah. distance audience? You couldn't see yeah. people's mouths. I couldn't see their mouths and it was dark. And we were yeah outside at Universal Studios. And luckily they put like microphones mm. in these little tea lights so that the, when they were laughing, it was projected onto the speaker on the stage so I could at least hear them laughing. But yeah, it was... Uh, the show, if you see the live show or see me live, it's a fucking zoo. It is a party. I have literally, I am the party girl. I go out, I've given shots to the audience, champagne to everyone in the audience. Like we're living our best lives. We're partying, there's music bumping in before you sit down and then I come in and it's full of energy and then we party on the way out. That's how I like to do comedy. But I couldn't do it with yeah. COVID. And there's even parts of the show, there's a part of the live show where I have a moral compass white guy. And every show, the moral compass white guy sets the tone for the show. And we do a little bit where I bring him out on stage and we have some fun together. I'm not going to spoil it. But basically, I couldn't even do that. Because when we tried it, he had to wear a mask and we had to be six mm. feet apart. And it was just not fun anymore. So it was kind of like... I had to strip back the performance, but give it even more because I couldn't really touch the crowd or reach out to the crowd or feel like the crowd were all distanced. They all have masks on. No one knew each other. They'd all been tested and gone through everything. They couldn't drink beforehand. There was no bar. So I had to work twice as hard to get, you know, the, the audience there and that, mm. that lively feel. But I feel like I pulled it off. I hope I did. Were so, you, yeah. were, how, how much warm up were you able to, you seemingly did warm up and then COVID happened. Were you able to warm up before this no. like no i did i did edinburgh i did 31 days in edinburgh then i did a 10-day like tour in london and that was in december then in january i did two shows and then that's it then i didn't do it again until a week before my netflix recording i did it what, twice that's it so from january to october because it was yeah we i last performed it january 10th and then my Netflix recording was October 30th. So from January 10th to October 30th, I had not done it. And then a week before I just did it, a preview to like 10 people. <laughs> so it was like really hard. I was performing it in my house. I was like sitting on faces, sitting on faces. I had to get a personal trainer because uh, I had gained the quarantine 15 and I was a lot more, and there was a lot more extra London. So I couldn't perform it without being out of breath and I'm asthmatic. So I was like training. I started working out five times a week because uh, Netflix only gave me a month to prepare for the special. Like, so from, from February, I thought I was having this, doing the special in March and then COVID happened and I was just in limbo up until October mm -hmm. or end of September where Netflix said, okay, we're doing it and we're doing it in a month. So I had a month to just go over the set, get back in shape, do some previews to 10 people and make sure the stuff I want to talk about is still relevant to me. Yeah. It was fun. I think I put it off. <laughs> yeah. um, in, in general, had, had you done much stand up in the U S no. before and at all? No, I've done a total of, I did one show, uh, like Fox comedy showcase. I did one, uh, <laughs> I've done two gigs in the U S two, two, 
10 minute performances of stand up ever in the US. Actually, I'm lying. This year, last year I did two shows, but back in 2014, I did a Caribbean night in Atlanta. <laughs> it, was a, it was a Caribbean night and every comic was from the Caribbean and from, it was American, African-American, but from the Caribbean. And yeah. I was the only British Caribbean performer. And that show was something else. <laughs> so yeah. that is, I mean, like, because this special is positioned as sort of like, you're a British comedian, but it's an American special. Like, you know, like, yeah. Carlos could have shot here. And how did you do that? Like, I truly believe, like, like obviously, uh, we speak the same language or whatever, but <laughs> it's a different... <laughs> How did you yeah, like even mentally prepare yourself for like what an American special would be? Cause I'm so into you guys. Like I'm so obsessed that I knew what I could, when you, when I did the show in London, I know my audience. I know what will make Londoners laugh. I also grew up on American television my, pretty much my whole life. So I know what will make Americans laugh too. And I just didn't know that how well they would take to me you know everyone's different mm. you might be like a star in london but it doesn't translate there's loads of uh, british comics that haven't crossed over to america and done anything so i was preparing myself for that but also i just wanted to be authentic with who i am and not try and change it but just change up the references so american audience will get it and when i did to catch a dick the the preview the, the previews of it they went great yeah. like american audiences were dying over it some of them didn't even get some of the references and they were still laughing. Like they were just happy that I was yeah. on stage and British and living my best life. And, and Dick is universal. People forget yeah. that. Like you, I'm getting DMs from girls in Belarus, girls in, in, in Cyprus, in Russia, in Brazil, in Denmark. I'm, I'm translating stuff in Portuguese. I'm just like, what? Everyone's talking about this show and they're completely different to me white, black, young, old. And it's, it's, it's really, dick is for everyone. And mm -hmm. so I, yeah, doing to catch a dick in America. So I just felt like being myself and being British as well and being unapologetically British, but also having the energy of an mm -hmm. American performer really helped to catch a dick do well over here because yeah. it's a hybrid of both worlds. So yeah. yeah. I think it, I think American audiences respond to confidence. Like even without yeah. jokes, they respond to confidence and like, yeah. and I, and I think, as you mentioned, I think we have a, an idea of what a British comedian is going to be like. And mm -hmm. even like, even the ones that have crossed over, they're still pretty proper and they still, you know, like they're not moving around a lot. So I think just Ew. the fact that you're British and moving, we're like, oh my God, this is a new thing. Like who is, what is, what is this? What, what is this hybrid? I don't even understand it, but it's because I grew up watching black American sitcom, uh, sitcoms and stand-up comics. Like I yeah. grew up watching Def Comedy Jam. Like Def Jam comedy was like, for me, the pinnacle of how to do stand-up. So like, and none of them, none of those guys stood still. Steve Harvey no. did not stand still. Bernie Mac did not stand still. I would watch Chris Rock does not stand still. Chris Rock, Bigger and Blacker is my favorite uh, special of all time. And I, he runs up and down the stage. He's, he's living la vida loca. He's doing everything. And so for me, when I decided to do stand-up, I just did it like that because that's the only way I knew how. But in Britain, stand-up is, is, isn't like that. It's that we've got Lee Evans, who is really high energy and in your face. And he's the only one. He's like pioneered that craft. Everyone else pretty much stands still, maybe reaches for a glass of water, maybe puts the microphone from their right hand to the left hand. And that's about it. So, yeah. 
Did I mean, the something different. The 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 part of the joke I really like is when you bring up Saturday Night Live and is yes. that a part that changed because this is an American audience obviously like the idea bringing up Saturday Night Live is like of course we're yeah. though obviously people know it in Britain it's not you would still have to explain it. Was that yeah. in the moment that you said is like, oh let me just play with how long I could go with this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't I Saturday Night Live is not in the original that joke's not even in the original version of Sketch Dick because it's not a show that comes on in the UK. So I was like, what can I talk? Because I talk about UK comics in, in the UK version of To Catch a Dick, but obviously I'm doing it in America. So I did a bit about UK comics and I had to bring it to them so they can relate to it. And I was like, it happens over here too. I was watching Saturday Night Live and that story fit perfectly because it's true, it happened. Yeah. And the Scarlett Johansson joke wrote itself because, you know, baby girl's taking up all those Asian roles. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, it's her own fault. She brought it on herself. So uh, yeah, and then the Pete Davidson joke just cemented yeah. it. So, and the Larry David joke too. So it was just very much, yeah, I just, I'm aware of American culture as most British people are, because we are up your ass. So uh, I, it, was, it wasn't hard for me to translate it for an American audience at yeah. all. So I was thinking about, you know, you, you talked about how it was produced by Kevin Hart and, and who also put out a special last year who is masked and distanced. But it was interesting to think about your specials together because because Kevin's, you know, it's the special did after he sort of reached this level that he always wanted to. Yeah. And it's like about how it's like the least enjoyable time to be famous. It's like yeah. and he's and he's not getting the sort of love that he needs from it. And then, you know, then you have yours and you're like pretty straightforward. It's like you want to be big. You want to be a star. You want to be famous. Yeah. You know, just generally, why? Why do you want to be famous? Like, what is the motivation? What do you what do you want from it? Do you know what? I genuinely feel like. I would enjoy it. I was watching an interview with Kim Kardashian and she was talking about how, and not that I aspire to be her in any way, shape or form, bless her. I do think she's gorgeous. But she was talking about how she enjoys being famous. Like Kylie and the other Kardashians, they don't really enjoy it like I do. I really enjoy it. And I enjoy it too. There's some uh, artists that are like, I don't do press. I don't like, I love press. I love the fact that I'm talking to you right now. Take my picture. Yes, please. Give me free shit. Yes, please. Like I'm not the, I love all of that. I love meeting new people. I love being talked about. I love seeing my face everywhere. I love fucking billboards. I'm not shy. Like I, it's not something that's like, you know, oh, all I want to do is just be famous. Cause if, I, if that was the case, I'd be a reality TV star or I'd go on yeah, yeah. TikTok or be a fucking influencer or whatever the fuck they are nowadays. I, I want to be celebrated for my talent and I, and that's great, but also all the perks that come with it, I'm okay with it. I cannot wait to actually be a famous person. I think it will suit me. Um, yeah, more than happy to do it. More, someone's got to do it. <laughs> when you, um, when you think about it, when you picture yourself as like the level of success that you think of success, and it's like a contented level of success, when you yeah. have all this free time, what does it look like? <laughs> Yeah. I just want to be, and and it hasn't been done since Baby Girl Whoopi, but I want to be like British Whoopi Goldberg. Like when you think of comedy legends that are black and female and British, you think of me, you know? Because right now, when you think of comedy British legends, they're all white guys. If you even Google British comedians, it's all white guys. Maybe yeah. there's like a couple white females, but it's mainly white guys, Sir Lenny Henry, and the odd female here and there, Joe Brands. But really and truly, there are so many beautiful, talented comedians of color 
that get overlooked or not seen as actual British comedy because to, to the world, British comedy is Mr. Bean and Monty Python. And yeah. it's so much more than that. And I just want to change that. I want to be included in the conversation when you talk about your greats. Just like when in America you talk about greats, you talk about Wolfie Goldberg, Dave Chappelle. These are black people. We don't have that in Britain. There's no black people. We don't have people, a pool of black successful millionaire millionaire legendary comedians in britain we don't and i just want to be one of those that's yeah. all and if i can then open the door for more comedians of color especially female comedians from britain to come through and do well on a on a global scale then wicked because that's the plan and then i probably won't have any kids because i'll be too busy and so i'll just like make comedy my child and just start creating amazing comedy content for years to come so that when I die, I die as one of the greatest. Just yeah. a small scene. <laughs> yeah, small yeah. Scene. Small, small goals. Bit. Just like a... Yeah, comedy Beyonce. A little ambition, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think it's interesting. It's like you, the way you do in the specials is they're sort of... Because you, you, bring, you frame it partly with your mom not pursuing her um, yeah. track career. And But when I think about the sort of pursuit of relationships and the pursuit of especially comedy, which is like a, an art form where being loved is so central to it. Do mm -hmm. you feel like it's the same thing? Do you feel like this, you're, you're ultimately you're driven by desire to be loved, but it's yes. like, you're getting it from this career. you you want this sort of historic love opposed to sort of a, yeah. one person. Yeah. I have a granddad who worked really, really hard and was born and lived and pretty much struggled all his life and then died. And after he died, like he worked all, he worked really hard and, and he, he was, you know, in my family, we loved him, but the world didn't know he existed and it hurt me. I was like, the world should know who he was. He mm -hmm. was a great man. And so for me, it's always been like about the world remembering who I was, the world remembering that I was here. And so everything I do is for that, is for the legacy. And my mom, I think she's the reason I won't have kids because I genuinely believe if obviously she didn't have my brother, she'd maybe be an Olympic runner and maybe the world would know who the fuck yeah. she was. <laughs> so instead, I just talk about her and keep her legacy alive, really. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it is about being loved, but also it's just about making my imprint. And like, we've got one life and I want the world to know I was here. That's yeah. all. And uh, whether that's like, you know, I, and I don't want to just be like famous for any reason or I don't want the world to know who I am because I'm a serial killer or, a, or you know, like I want the world to remember me for comedy, for making people laugh, for making yeah. people's lives better. And honestly, comedy has saved my, not, I wouldn't say saved my life, that sounds so deep, but I was definitely a different person before I found comedy. I was, I was a nerd in school. I wasn't popular. I got bullied. I was bullied in university. My self-worth was very low and I wasn't this fine queen you see before you. And then comedy changed all that. The moment I got my first laugh on stage from strangers, it helped me find my self-worth. So for me, if I can help you guys laugh or just make your day better or brighten your day, then it makes me feel like I'm worth something. <laughs> that sound means it's time for our final segment it's called the laughing round it's it's like a lightning round but because this is a, a comedy podcast i, I call it the the laughing nice. round. nice nice cool? i see what you did there very clever Beautiful. i appreciate it um yeah. do you have a favorite joke joke like a street joke like a dad joke like Ooh. a regular joke yes i do i do it's my grandma's big up grandma myrtle the original ho bless her 
<laughs> so my grandma is um, a bit of a show off and every wedding she gets on the mic. She's 96. Every wedding she gets on the mic and she tells this same joke. And we've all heard this joke, but we still laugh because she's 96 and she deserves the applause. Sure. So um, this is the joke. This is Grandma Myrtle's original wedding joke. Are you ready? I'm going to do it in her accent because she's Jamaican. So we're going to put on a Jamaican accent. Sure. So, Hello, everybody. What a great wedding that we're at. Now, here is the thing. Weddings, weddings, they have tree rings. So by tree, she means free. She's Got it. Weddings have tree rings. All right. The first ring is the engagement ring. Then you have the wedding ring. And then finally, you have the suffering. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Love is love. <laughs> Did she say love is love? Love is love. <laughs> that is Grandma Myrtle's wedding joke. And uh, yeah, it's my favorite joke of all time. <laughs> um, I've heard you talk about how you used to write Fraser fan fiction before fan fiction was even a thing. Can yes. you, do you remember any detail of any? Yes. yes. Can so, you share um, and can share it? Of course. So I used to write myself into episodes of Frasier. I was Denise, Frasier's adopted daughter. And basically, uh, Frasier adopted me. I was British. And because I was British, I helped Frasier get girls. So he would come to me to learn how to speak properly and just be a gentleman. And the girls would be like, oh my God, you adopted this beautiful black British daughter? And she's so smart. And so me and him would like tag team the ladies and I would help him get ladies and then I would end up dating their sons. It was great. You know, sometimes people, I have a decent amount of listeners in, in England and they complain about I don't have that many, that many British comedians on. And it's probably because I, I don't know that many and I'm somewhat lazy about finding out. Who are three British comedians you think I should interview? Oh, this is a hard one because there's so many. I can't just pick three. Pick um, any amount that comes to your head, but don't take. Okay. So whoever so comes to your mind first. Once COVID ends, what is your dream date? Dream LA date. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, I'm excited just thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> oh, I want to go New York. I want to get dicked down in New York somewhere. Um, <laughs> I want to. I, I want someone to fly me out, whoever he is, to fly me out to New York, and I want dinner and dancing till like four in the morning, and then we walk home drunk as fuck, eating a pizza, and stay at some fancy ass hotel in New York. That is, yeah, that's what I deserve. That's great. Um, what <laughs> if you is... know anyone, just let me know. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. I'll think if I know any <laughs> famous people. Yeah, let me know. Only famous people. Um, <laughs> is there a joke um, from another comedian that you wish you could steal? Like a joke that you heard that you're like, I wish that was my joke. I wish I could tell it. No one would say you stole it because it's Ooh. a world in which you have this joke. But it's a joke you're like, I wish I thought of that. Or I wish I could have it. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> is that bad? I'm trying to think like who has oh the whole of Chris Rock bigger and blacker like every single joke in that I wish I wrote every single one I can't even think of one that just tops the others like every everyone yeah every all sense. of his stuff all of his material oh no Dave Chappelle's joke everything in Six and Stones that Dave Chappelle says 
I wish I could say. I wish I could get away with saying, and I wish I said, yeah, basically all of that, all that stuff. <laughs> um, do you have a, a favorite curse word and a least favorite curse word? Oh, my favorite. I love that you call it curse words. That's so what do you say, sweet. What are they? What should curse? they be called? Why swear they, words? Why don't you call them swear words? Why don't you call them curse words? Honestly, a I don't know. Word. My favorite curse word is. I love I love a good fuck, but I like fuck peppered in to other stuff. So like fuckery, like a whole bunch of fuckery. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean, that's like top tier. If you're gonna say fuck, you need to like dress it up a bit. The one I hate the most, I would say, is. Wait, let's go through them. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's shit. Shit's basic. Shit, fuck. I, do you know what? I never really say cunt. But I know that people find it really offensive in America. It's not that big a deal in Britain, <laughs> but it's not part of my vernacular, really. So I wouldn't say I hate it. I just don't, I don't say it. Um, give me some more swear words. Well, it's What's interesting that? because in the George Carlin's, it's it's then piss, Tip. motherfucker. I don't like motherfucker. I don't like it because it's such a it's such a swear word, but it's <laughs> but it's 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 not like. Saying that I slept with my mom. Like, is that what it is basically what you're telling me? And I'm just like, no. Like, <laughs> it's just beneath me. Like, what? Well, that's what? Shut up. So, yeah, motherfucker. I like fuckery. I don't like motherfucker. That's <laughs> yeah, that's what I don't like. I hate that the story, the headline is London Hughes calls a mom and a grandma a hoe instead of London Hughes is basically like a feminist icon that, mm-hmm. that has pointed out the injustices between sucking dick and going down on women. And she should get some sort of Nobel Prize for bringing together the nation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think I get it. Yeah. So that's what, I didn't think that would go down the way it went down. (laughs) But hey, I called my grandma a hoe. I guess that's the big, that's the big, way. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) That, we will do, that, that's, we did it. That's the interview. <laughs> thank you so much. That was uh, no worries. Um, yeah, thank you. That was so good. I had so much fun. That's it for another episode of Good One. You can watch To Catch a Dick, The After Party, and The History of Swear Words on Netflix. Follow London on social media at the London Hughes. Good One is produced by myself, Jelani Carter, Hannah Rosen, and Camila Salazar. Godwin Shrugashen did our theme song. Write a review and rate the show on Apple Podcasts by stars, please. Email any comments, questions, or laughing around suggestions to goodonepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us at goodonepodcast. I'm Jesse David Fox, and you can follow me at Jesse David Fox. And if you haven't, please check out my new Patreon podcast, The Specials. Good One is a production of Vulture and the Vox Media Podcast Network. Be back next week with the Lucas Brothers. Have a good one. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the PropG pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running. 
And that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon, taking place in Savannah, Georgia, on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.